Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. How many of you guys have ever made pancakes before? Anybody here ever made pancakes before? Yeah, absolutely, right? How many of you are those who follow closely the directions? If you need a cup of batter, you get a cup of batter. And if you need like a third cup of milk, I hope you don't use water in your pancakes. If you do, please stop that, right? Um, but uh, listen, seriously, how many of you are guys like you follow directions, right? Like you get the equal amounts of parts, right? You follow those directions, right? For those of you that do that, this, this illustration is probably going to be lost on you, right? My guess is that some of you, because you didn't raise your hand, you're more like me, is that you take the box and you dump it in there and that looks about good and then you get the milk and you dump it in and then you start mixing and you realize when you start mixing that it's probably what? One of two things. What? It's too thick or too too runny, right? One of the two. And so then you don't measure again. You just start adding more, right? Whichever it is. And if you're not careful, you probably add too much and then it's like you need the other one, right? At this point in the illustration, those of you that raised your hand are saying, and that's why we measure. To those of us who do what I'm saying, this ritual, you respond, live a little, right? So we both, we both push on each other, right? We feel this tension of how it happens. But listen, it's often that this, this illustration maybe proves the point. The often the cure is, is just add a little bit more of what you need, right? Like, so if you're lacking this, then put this in. And if you're not careful, that religion can be a lot like making pancakes. Like you, Try to pray more because hopefully that's going to help things, right? And then you think, well, that's not helpful maybe enough. Maybe I should read my Bible a little bit. And then, like, if maybe the Bible reading or the praying's not, like, maybe seeming to work enough, then, like, well, maybe I'll get crazy and come to church on a Wednesday night, right? Like, I mean, like, you just keep trying to what, like, what could I add to my life? Pour this in, pour that in to get the right mixture, right? And it's kind of this never-ending challenge. And the Datus text just reminds us this. The cure for religion is not more religion. The cure for religion is not more religion. The people of Isaiah's day, listen, they can't get, quite get that spiritual batter right. I mean, they're trying everything they can. They're going to seek God. I mean, you're going to hear things. They're seeking God consistently. They're committed. They're devoted. But ultimately what we soon see is that all of their mixing spiritually of this and that was ultimately to get God to kind of have to do what they wanted. They're trying to put God like in this corner, like, I, mean, I don't know if you ever played, like we're, I don't know who ever came up with the word uncle, right, or whatever, but like, they're trying to get basically God to tap, alright, maybe that's better for our vernacular, I'm not assuming many people like say, say uncle anymore, I don't know where that came, probably some messed up uncle, but anyway, um, needless to say, right, they're trying to get God at some point just to tap, right, like if I do these things, then God will be like, he'll have to owe me something, and that's why, listen, that we're not careful. That religion just becomes this list of things that we do so we can win God's favor, put Him in a position to owe us. And the cure, listen, for religion is not more religion, but instead it's embracing Christ. It's embracing Christ so that our devotion comes from being redeemed, from what we just sang about, of what He won for me, right? What He accomplished for me. He won, He satisfied the judgment of God on my behalf And now my serving, my doing is a reflection of my heart set free to worship. So let's jump to it, Isaiah 58. And let's see how, listen, we're going to see it today in this text here. The cure for religion is not more religion. In fact, if that's your attitude, 
It's doomed to failure. Verse 1 of Isaiah 58. Cry aloud. God is now speaking, challenging the prophet here. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Notice that. He's crying aloud. He's not holding back. He's lifting up his voice and he's talking to people about their sins. My guess is, listen, this is not a sure way of how to win friends and influence people. This isn't it. You go around telling people about their sin, right? That's not it. But nonetheless, here it is in the Word of God. So the reminder is, we need to be telling people the truth. We need to do it in love, but we need to tell people the truth. I don't know about you, but when I go to the doctor, listen, I'm not going to the doctor just simply because I want them to be my friend and tell me what I want to hear. I'm going to the doctor because I know something's wrong and I need some help. So it doesn't do me any good if the doctor's trying to be kind that day to not tell me that I have a bacterial infection that needs an antibiotic and there's no other way to heal that. I need to hear the truth. The prophet Isaiah is going to tell the people the truth. So look what happens, beginning in verse 2. Yet they seek me. Listen to to the lives of these people. Then we'll just kind of walk through it just for a moment. Verse 2. Yet, he says, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Maybe like six things throw at you one. They seek Him. These folks are seeking God. They they are absolutely committed to Him. Notice secondly there, it's daily. I mean like this is like the persistent of who they are. It's not just like, hey, this is what we do like for them like on a Saturday, a Sabbath. This is not how we just honor God, right? I mean for us we would say this is not just about Sunday only, right? These folks are seeking God daily. Thirdly, look what it says there. They delight to know God's ways. They're devoted to God. We hear this little simple statement there, as if, right? Gives us some type of pause for a moment. We're going to kind of, he's going to bring that out a little bit more as he comes to verse 3. As if, he says, they were a nation that did righteousness. So again, these folks are, they're doing good things, right? I mean, you, you hear this, like, they're seeking God, they're doing it daily, they delight to know God, they're doing good things. I mean, you would say, man, these guys have got it figured out. Listen, they don't, for, it seems as if they don't forsake the judgment of God. These folks aren't compromising. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. It seems like they got spiritual discipline in their lives. That's an impressive list. I mean, these people appear, again, from verse 2 of the text, it appears they're serious. They aren't playing around with religion. They're devoted. That seems well and good until we hear the truth in verse 3. Listen to this statement. The prophet is saying what they say. The people are saying these statements. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? The problem is they've acted and God hasn't. Right? They, they've spent time fasting. Right? They've spent time humbling themselves. And now God has not acted or done what they, what they hoped. And, and scholar, the scholar Alec Motier, he says here simply this statement. The essence, essence of the Canaanite religion which surrounded them was that you acted in such a way that you put the God where they owed you, right? I mean, you, you, you perform these actions to put pressure on the gods so they would respond. And we, we don't have time. We even had some of this discussion this past, this morning in Sunday school. But last week, if you remember, right, the people were engaging in these sexual acts to stimulate the god Baal, right? This, this god up here, this Canaanite god Baal, they're trying to stimulate him, right, to, to bring down rain, to, to produce in their wombs, right? So all of these things were reactions. So you did these things 
Because that stimulated the God to now have to respond because of what you did. Or even if you heard, remember the God of the underworld, the God of Melech, right? The people were sacrificing their children, slaughtering their children before this God to get this God to take death away from them. So listen, here's what happens. They are doing good thinking that somehow a good return will come from it. And this is the danger with all false religions. You find yourself trying to do good things because now you think it will earn something from you. Right? Like, I mean, if you do this certain thing, then that will guarantee your way into heaven. Or if you give this amount of money, then that must mean that God will bless you or you'll get this happiness or you'll get physical healing. Right? I mean, there's this guaranteed way of life that you're somehow after looking for. And so it comes like this sense of, it's almost like God is like a genie in a bottle. And like if we rub God the right way, then poof, he pops out and he says, well, because you did this, I'm now going to answer. Right? Like so like you maybe say, well, God, I, I rubbed the bottle today and boom, I came to church. So now my life should be happier. Right? Like God, I, I rubbed the bottle today. I threw, I threw some extra money in the plate. God, you knew we didn't have as much, but man, I did it anyway today. God, I know now you're going to bless me. I'm going to get that business deal this week. I'm going to get that new job. Right? Like, I mean... Maybe you're there and you're rubbing the genie bottle and you're like, God, I've worked on my cussing. That must mean my grades will have to get better. Listen, here's what's happening. We've taken the way of approach of how you approach a false God and now assume that you can approach the living God the same way. These folks think that you can approach, the way you approach a false God must be the same way that you approach the living God. So if you do these things, then God now owes you and now he's going to answer and your life's going to be blessed. It's going to be happy. You're going to get this, that, riches, whatever it is you're ultimately after. And Isaiah's going to show us, listen, guys, that won't ever get it. But listen, this wasn't an issue, right? Again, we're somewhere in the ballpark of 700 B.C. as Isaiah writes. Don't think that was just an issue with the hearts of people in that day and time. Like they were trying to get God to do what they wanted. And so that's why the motivation of what they were doing, what was behind it. Listen to what James says. Again, this this statement, verse 3, seek your own pleasure. Listen to what verse 2 of James 4 begins. Or says here, you do not have because you do not ask. Right? You've probably heard that adage. You, You have not because what? You ask not. Right? You've heard that. So the motivation behind that is that sometimes we just... We like just rip that verse out and we like it all as it is. You have not because you ask not. That means if you ask God for whatever you want, then you'll get it. That's why you got to always read within context. Listen to verse 3 of James 4, the very next verse. You ask and do not receive because, here's why, you ask wrongly. Well, how is it when we ask wrongly? Here's what he says. Here's your asking why it's wrong and here's why you're not receiving. To do what? Spend it on your passions. The very same thing they were doing in 700 B.C. The church in the first century was struggling with it too. So my whisper to you and to me is, don't be surprised if that same heart lives within you. That you have a desire to do your own thing. That you have a desire, right? I mean, to mix that batter up with God where He'll have to answer because of the things you've been doing and now He's going to somehow own you. Or owe you. That's the very same thing they were doing there in Isaiah's day. He says, listen, you guys, you, man, you're going through all the stuff. You got it down. 
You're fasting, it's humbling, but like they're like, God, why are you not responding? Like, why shouldn't you should be doing what we've asked, right? The same thing here. Like, man, listen, these people are, man, maybe some of them aren't praying, but he says, listen, there are some of you guys, man, you're praying and you're asking, but you're not receiving. He says, you want to know why? Because you think you can treat God any way you want. It's ultimately about you. It's ultimately about your heart, right? I mean, it can appear outwardly like you've got it all together. The smiles, the handshakes, the verses, the praying, the giving, the going on missions, the serving, the doing. But man, your heart. He says, listen, you don't love me. So listen, God now kind of responds back to them. Right, like if we can see that, hey, guess what? The people in 700 BC had this heart issue. The people in the first century there in the church had this heart issue. If I'm honest, Blake, I kind of got some of this own heart issue in my own life. Then maybe there's a remedy. What if there's a remedy in this text for how the cure for religion is not more religion? What if there's actually a cure? For us living that way and thinking that somehow we can do enough things that God will somehow owe us something. And now we'll be able to get it. And that's how we'll be happy in life. And so as long as I pay God off enough with my time, my going, my serving, my Bible reading, my praying. Then God will finally love me. He'll bless me. He'll accept me. He'll take me as his own. He'll give me this. He'll provide that relationship. He'll meet that job need. He'll provide those resources. He'll... Bring healing to this person that's sick that I care. I mean, like on and on and on and on. And that's the same way the world approaches all the false gods. That's not who our God is. So listen to how God responds. Verse 5 of Isaiah 58. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast? And a day acceptable to the Lord? Now listen, God's not opposed to fasting, right? And then maybe that brings us out of question. We need to answer, what, what is even fasting? Like, what even, what is that? Um, did somebody say that, you know? What was it, Pricey? Skipping something. Skipping something. Absolutely, right? Yeah, it's giving up, right? Um, Dr. Donald Whitney, if you're with us in our spiritual disciplines, he just simply said this. It's the voluntary, typically, it's the voluntary going without food. For a spiritual purpose. Now listen, you can fast from other things. As Price said, there's things you can skip, right? I mean, maybe it's for you. It's, it's social media or it's Facebook, right? Maybe it's television or maybe it's your, your favorite book or I, I don't know what it might be for you, but typically it refers to food. John Piper knows that, notes that fasting at its root is the hunger for a homesickness of God. There's something you long, right? So when you come time, when it comes time to fast, it's desiring from God what you could never do or work on your own, right? Maybe there's just a sense in which you fast just to humble yourself. Maybe you're fasting because there's a need in your life and you're asking God in prayer, God, what is your will? Maybe you need wisdom for a decision and so you're just humbling yourself, fasting, going without food, right? Because listen, how does this work? You go a day or two without food, my guess is your belly is going to get grum- right, rumbly, right? Like old little like uh, Winnie the Pooh, right? Any of you seen old Pooh Bear? Has anybody here seen Pooh Bear? Raise a hand. Come on, stay with me. Yeah, all right, good, good. Right, I mean, old Pooh's got that rumbly in his tumbly, right? I mean, if you go without food, you get some rumbly in your tumbly, and guess what happens? It reminds you immediately then it's time to pray. You see how it works? Now, there are other things in your life, right, again, that you can use, you can deny yourself, and it, 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 will, it will strain on you, absolutely. But the one constant, consistent for me is when I deny myself food over a period of time, 
There gets some rumblies in my tumblies. And every time that happens, man, it, God just uses it to say, Hey, remember why we're praying. Remember why you're doing this. Maybe it's a pattern of sin in your life that you just cannot break. You just cannot get that addiction, right? That, that Maybe it's your tongue. Maybe it's your thoughts. Maybe it's the way you treat a spouse. Maybe it's just issues with your parents. I don't know what it is for you, but you just got a, a serious stronghold in your life that's just wrecking it. Fasting is a way of just humbling yourself, saying, God, I cannot free myself. Please free me. Please, God. So God is for fasting. So don't hear verse 5 there and think, well, God must be opposed to fasting. In fact, Matthew 6, 16 and 17, Jesus expects you to fast. He says when you fast. Not if, but when you fast. But listen to the kind of fast that God's after here. Again, it's, it's not simply just about a day. That's the danger. Again, it's like you pay God and now he owes you something. God wants the heart and now he's going to reveal what a heart that truly loves him looks like. Look what he says. Verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? Whoa, okay. God's going to give you some clarity. To loose the bonds of wickedness. Bonds are indicating chains. And so it's to break the chains of injustice. God's people, His people. Listen, this is God saying, I'm opposed to the mistreatment of others in your society and culture. I'm opposed to that. This includes those who don't have the same rights, privileges, or freedom based upon their economic status, the color of their skin, their nationality. God says, I'm opposed to that. And so if you want to honor me, then you will be one that breaks the chains of injustice. Secondly, he says to them to undo the straps, the yoke, or there. thirdly, to let the oppressed go free. The oppressed are those that are broken by life and what's happened to them. You might be saying, but Blake, they brought it upon themselves. But listen, you and I brought the wrath of God upon ourselves, haven't we? I mean, our sin and rebellion and rejection of God. And yet, what did God do? The fact that we have brought this upon ourselves, what did He do? He sent for God so loved the world that He what? He gave, didn't He? His love moved Him to action even though we had not earned or ever deserved it. It was a movement of God because of His love for you. And so we, as God's people, listen, we're there and we're just asking God, please, Lord, we want to reflect the fact that we follow the one true King, Jesus Christ. And so we now, as you have loved us, we are now going to love others, helping the oppressed go free. Look, he says, fourth, to break every yoke. Imagine this morning the yoke that you might have been under if you'd have been born to a poor family. Imagine this morning the yoke that you would have been under if God would have allowed you in this culture to be born with a different color of skin. Imagine this morning the yoke that you might have been under if your mother had been hooked on opiates or some drugs. I'm afraid that we often think that we are so special. But the reality is we are all just the result of God's grace. And the fact is, is that we live in a culture that is messed up, that doesn't reflect this. That's why the church should look so different. Do you see it? The church should look so different. We should be breaking these yokes. Listen, I, the reality is for so many folks, listen, because of what they were born into, our culture said, you go to the back of the line. If that's your skin color, you go to the back of the line now. If that's the economic situation that you come from, you go to the back of the line now. This is not to be it for God's people. 
And God says, if you love me, if you desire me, if you want to reflect me, then go and break the yokes that are hanging upon the necks of these people. So God says, you want to show that you love me that you can't see? Then go love those that you do see. And for some of you, listen, this is going to be God calling you to begin speaking up for the minority. For some of you, listen, this is going to be God today either starting that conversation with a spouse or, or maybe continuing that of fostering, of adoption. Because you, you listen, you say, Blake, I would love to do it for all of these. I would love to take, I would love to take 10, 20, 30, but maybe Maybe instead of just using that as, as a reason why you can't do anything, maybe you would just do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Maybe you just start with that fostering. Maybe you just start with that adoption. Just that one. Because, why? Because we are people that are called to break every yoke. So church, let's go break those yokes. Look further. Verse 7, again, this is the kind of fasting that God's after. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Hungry, homeless, naked. These are all things, listen, that happen immediately. Like you encounter those in your daily life. Like those just happen, right? Some of these others, right, are more long-term. Like, I mean, you're they're talking about bigger, longer-term issues here. But when he gets these, he's just saying these are things that you're going to encounter on a daily life. So I want to ask you practically, when's the last time you fed somebody that was hungry in our community? Do you know any hungry people? I'll be honest with you. Like when I read the second one, bring the homeless poor into your house, I've not yet done that. And I don't know. I'm struggling. Like I struggle. Like when I read that, I'm like, ooh, I'm struggling with that. Do you, do you have some struggles with these? Like we might need to say today, if we don't know hungry people, if we don't know people that struggle with housing, if we don't know people that are struggling with clothing, then maybe our circle's too small of everybody that looks and comes from places just like us. Now, listen, I got to deal with it myself. But isn't this beautiful? This is 700 BC, 2,700 years ago. This is the Old Testament. So it's a reminder, as a church, we're not just New Testament people. We are Old and New Testament people. Why? Because it all ultimately points to Christ, and we're coming there. But that's why we've been in this book since April of 2018, the last Sunday in April. Because we believe that all Scripture is indeed God, God's Word. It is God-breathed, and it is all useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All of it. 2 Timothy 3.16. So I want to ask you, again, the, 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 when you think about providing shelter, maybe it's just simple right now as giving somebody a ride. And again, I, I realize we've got to be wise, and, and full disclosure, to my knowledge, Jim could probably tell you for sure, I, I'm not aware of a time that I picked up somebody with my kids in the car. But if I'm riding down the road and it's just me, listen, look at me, I'm a, I'm a weak brother. I'm just telling you the truth. That's a fact, Jack. I'm not imposing, I'm not threatening to anybody. But if I drive by and there's a seat in my car, do you not think that I probably need to stop? Unless the Holy Spirit's telling me no to keep on driving, I need to seriously deal with that. So maybe it's just for you, it's just a first step. And again, I, I know it may look different specifically to our ladies. I mean, that, that may look different for each of us. But maybe that might be a first step. When you think about somebody naked, I want to ask you just a practical question. When you get around a large group of people, every now and then just look down. 
And my guess is if you look down and if you run in circles that are big enough and wide enough, you're going to see people here in Greensburg KY that need shoes. When's the last time you helped somebody get a pair of shoes? So let's don't hear this text and think it's like far off, far off, far off. Now let it land on our lives. Who do you know that needs shoes? Now listen, for some of you, and again, this is going to be my application at the end. Maybe I'll go ahead and just say it now. The hungry, the homeless, and the naked is not just a simple, like, I'm going to do this when I show up at McDonald's drive-thru. I'm going to do this. I'm going to help get some shoes. No, you, you got an extra room in your house. you got an extra bed in your house. you got food in that pantry. you got extra clothes. Why? Because God's sending you a kiddo. It's stirring some of you, man. I know it is. That fostering, that adoption, it's just burning. I know it is. Why? Because that's the heart of God and He's placed it in you. And you just, man, you sense that heart of God. So it's not just a temporary for some of you. It's long term. Like you, you see those children. You know they're hungry. You know they're homeless. You walk past that door in your house. You see that bed that's there. You see that extra food in your pantry. You see those extra clothes. And you know, man, there's a kid somewhere. There's a kid somewhere, God, that could, man, you can bring in our house. Mm. Go do it, Jesus. Mm. Go do it, Jesus. Then. Verse 8, watch this. Then, look what he says. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and He will say, Here am I. Listen to these kind of things that happen as a result. First, their light breaks forth. Man, it's just a new beginning to life. Like I mean, it's, It indicates like that springs of the deep just bursting forth. There's new life. Secondly, look what he said. There's healing shall spring up speedily. There's going to be restoration, healing in your lives. Notice that God, He is going before them and He's also their rear guard. He's got your front and back. It's just the protection of God upon His people watching over your life. Fourth, look what it says. Then they're going to call and God's going to answer. They're going to cry and He's going to say, Here I am. Here I am. There's an intimate relationship with God. And listen, this is, this is important. We hear all of this and there's a real danger this morning in thinking, just like that batter. Okay. So worship God. Check in my life. Doing good things. Check. Social justice and those issues. That's where my hole is. Okay, Blake. I see it. You're right. i I not done a very good job feeding the hungry, the homeless, the naked. I, I, I need to work on that. Remember the point of the sermon? The cure for religion is not more religion. If that's what you think this message is about, you've missed it. Listen, listen, listen. There's so many times that we can do things outwardly, but inwardly our, our heart is miles away. Like we can give to the poor, serve the poor, because maybe we feel sorry for them or at least their kids, but we think their parents need to already get it together and get a job. So we can be serving people all the while, hating and destroying them in our hearts. Do you see it? This isn't just about doing these people are doing, 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 and they're not getting it. This is about a heart change. This is about a heart that's been set free. Listen, you go to church, you read the Bible, because that's a way to a better and happier life. In reality, listen, religious life can just come back to being about us. It's dangerous. So what do I have to ask, how, Blake, does this passage transform who I am by ultimately looking to Christ? Because if not, you hear this message today and you think, now I need to go out and do this, go do this, go do this, go do this. All the while missing how Christ transforms this. 
It's interesting because Jesus quotes from this very passage in Matthew 25. And he says at the end of the time that you, 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 and me will all stand before him. And he says he's going to put some on his right and some on his left. And listen to what he says. Verse 37, Matthew 25. The righteous will answer Jesus saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When do we see you a stranger or homeless and welcome you or naked and clothe you? Sound like Isaiah 58? That's what Jesus is pulling from, this very passage. And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and my sisters, you what? Did it to me. Jesus just totally transforms, right? We're looking, thinking that person, that, that they need this, they need that. Jesus says, man, when you love them, you're ultimately loving me. When you see that person walk on the side of the road, you need to think about Jesus. When you see that child that needs a home, you need to think about Christ. Right? So Jesus is saying, how you love them is how you love me. Right? And if you're not careful, again, you can hear this and you think, okay, I need, who's sick that I need to go visit now? Who's in prison? Maybe that I can go visit. Man, we're, listen, we're missing it. This is not about more things to do. We can get exhausted doing things in the church. It's only seeing Christ and His rescuing us from the judgment of God for all eternity that will move our souls. It's beholding His beauty, that deep love that He has for us. But Jesus says, when you don't care for these people, you don't care for me. Is that because Jesus just cares for the poor? Do you think that's like why Jesus is saying this in Matthew 25? No, I, I, yes, He does care for the poor, absolutely. But I think it goes deeper. Realize this. Christ came, came poor for us. He left heaven, all the riches of glory, a place where there's no death, no mourning, no crying, no praying. And He came to live here. He left all of the riches. He, he took off that glory, humbled Himself, Philippians 2 says, and He became here. Jesus, in fact, listen, it's not just simply that He cares about the poor. Jesus was poor. When Jesus was born, they put Him where? In a cow trough. How many of you, like after you were born, were put in a cow trough? Listen, it's not just simply that Jesus cares about the poor. When Jesus it came time for him to be circumcised, you know what his family brought? Two pigeons. You know why they brought two pigeons? Because that was the lowest rung economically that was available. So if you're the poorest of the poor, then that's what you bring. And that's what Jesus' Jesus's family brought. Two pigeons. Think about this, though. Jesus isn't just simply concerned about the poor. He also knows about the homeless. Right? I mean, he says... Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to what? Lay His head. He knows something about the homeless. He knows something about being without shelter. In fact, Jesus doesn't see just poverty from a distance. He comes and lives it. In fact, on His final days on earth, right? I mean, He's, he's, he's there in the, the mid, pushing mid-30s. You would think for sure by now, a man in his mid-30s would have commandeered his own transportation. Right? Like, I mean, surely now He's got like the the... the the Chevy Camel or the Dodge Donkey. But Jesus doesn't even have one of his own. That brother has to borrow a colt to ride in on. You want to know about Jesus understanding the poor? His last meal on earth was in a borrowed room. You want to understand about Jesus understanding the poor? When they buried him, they placed him in a borrowed tomb. 
So don't hear this today and just think Jesus cares about the poor. He came and identified with the poor, with the lowly. He knows this. This is who His heart is. So what's it say about us when it's not our heart? Listen, this passage too is about turning the tables on social injustice. The yoke, the oppression that refugees, others experience. But Jesus Himself knows the ultimate injustice, doesn't He? I mean, He's the sinless Son of God who's never sinned, never had a wicked thought or deed, and yet He's dying on a cross that everyone believes, according to the law of God, is cursed. He's experiencing the ultimate injustice. Why? So that you would not experience the justice of God. It's that you could go free. It's that you could be forgiven. So when you hear this passage today, listen... You've got to realize that, listen, did Jesus experience poverty? Absolutely. Did He experience thirsting? Yeah, on the cross He said, I thirst. Did He experience being naked? Yes, on that cross He was naked. Right? As He's hanging there, He took the yoke of judgment that was upon you and me, and God placed it upon His Son that He could experience the judgment of God that you and I might go free today. If that doesn't fill you with joy, there's not a hundred thousand things that I could say this morning that will ever move your heart. Everything else is just serving out of guilt or because maybe you want to feel morally better about yourself. If our serving and living doesn't ultimately respond to what Christ has done for us, man, listen, it's just more religion. Maybe this illustration might further prove my point. This past Thursday morning, I went out for a run. It was 53 degrees. Judica said, Dad, I'm getting my warmest sweatpants. It's like, yeah, bro, you need to, baby. <clears throat> Gets his good sweatshirt on, his hood, and he finds this little, he says, neat sweatshirt holder. We take off running for a few, and Danny and Faye, by the time I reach you guys' driveway, I'm huffing, okay? I'm like, whoo. By the time I get Elva Joe to Elva Joe and Vernon's house, I, I'm, I'm at the point of walking, all right? And I'm just like, <gasps> and Judah says, Dad, what's wrong? I was like, bro, I got nothing left. And he says this, I kid you not. Well, I'm not tired at all. <laughs> I'm afraid that spiritually, man, we're living like that guy trying to push the car. We're trying to put people in it to get ourselves. And man, we're exhausted. There's a better way. To come and have Him transform your heart and life. To experience true freedom. True joy. That you can push and run with joy. Will you get exhausted? Absolutely. But all the joy of coming to that driveway and realizing my little boy said, I'm not tired at all. He just gave me a little fire in the belly. I was like, come on, Daddy, push! Do you feel it today? The love of Christ toward you. Calling you today to go. So maybe, again, just a couple things in closing. Think about this. Think about how many children in this community are maybe struggling to read and write. Now imagine this. If they become 16 or 18 years old, do you realize where that puts them socially and economically for the rest of their lives? Because they can't read or write. Some of you know this personally because you're involved with our WANA program and you realize that you're working with kids that you now discover are struggling to read. What if, what if you, listen again, let's just don't hear this and put it on the shelf. Take this message with you. What if, what if you went and tried to help that kid learn how to read? 
Maybe it wouldn't work for that kid, but what if you reached out to our school system and said, listen, I, I would love to come in and help. There's kids that need extra work. What if you just practically said, I, I want to be there. I want to hold my hands and my feet. I want to pour into a cow. So listen, you hear this. Don't run and get on your soapbox and say, well, it's social structures or it's the breakdown of the family. That may be the truth in both of those situations. But the reality is that seven or eight-year-old kill can't read. And they need somebody to help them. So will it be you? Again, are you ready to fight? Are you ready to fast like that? To break off that yoke for these kiddos? To set that oppressed child free? Again, for you thinking, I want you to challenge you today. Adoption or fostering? I want, I want you to think about it. Conversation needs to happen for some of you. Needs to happen. For some of you, listen, that, that, that window in life may have passed or God's not calling you, but man, you've got some resources behind you that's going to help that family. You do. You've got some resources. God's going to use you. He may not be calling to come into your home, but you're going to be a, standing behind beside some of those that are, and God's going to use those. Third and last, thank our hands and my hands. Our hands. I don't know if you know it, that every week this church takes $1 for every person present. So every person, if we have 200 people, then we have 200 bucks for that week. We intentionally take $200 that week and say, I don't know about you, do you like it when you flush your toilet that it flushes? Right? We, we tell our boys it's just like be on the mission field, man. If sometimes it's yellow, it's okay to let it mellow, but if it's brown, you got to what? Put that sucker down, right? You with me? Do you know there's people in Greene County that they can't flush it because they don't have water? They don't bathe because they don't have water. There's people right here in your community that don't have electricity and they got kids in the home. My guess is you like it when the air gets on. Do you know there's people right here in this community that are hungry? In fact, you show up on a Wednesday and Sunday night part of our ministry, you'll see kiddos that are hungry in this, in your community. That's our hands. Us as a team being a part of that. So maybe you would just be a part. Maybe as a college student, you say, I don't have much to give, but maybe you give one dollar to be a part of that. Maybe a kiddo, you don't have much to give, but maybe each week you could just come bring your dollar because you realize there's a family, there's a kid just like you that needs help. And you would say, man, I hope this pray this church goes and helps those people. Some of you, you have the gift of mercy and you need to come and walk beside us in that ministry to help be a part of serving and loving. Last, your hands. We just pray right now as we close. God, would you provide me an opportunity this week to love on the poor, to speak up for the oppressed? God, to do whatever you call. God's placed all of you in different places of influence. He'll take you to different places. You'll see different faces. Would you just pray right now? Just God, may you just, just bow your head right now for a moment. Just open those palms to heaven and just say, God, here am I. Use me. Just for a moment right now, you and the Lord, just have that, that you want to be used. Ask God for the opportunity and the boldness to act on it. Father, I thank you for Jesus. He's the only one that can set us free. Thank you that he doesn't simply just care about the poor. He became poor for us that we might become rich in him. Not rich in the terms of this world, but rich in Christ. And Father, I pray now for everyone here who has experienced that grace, that they would follow in the footsteps of their master, empowered by the Holy Spirit, not pushing the stroller in their own strength today, but empowered spirit, soul power, coming from the power of the Most High God, pushing them to go further up that hill, to go further in that conversation. 
I pray, God, by the power of Your Holy Spirit and the truth of Your Word today, there's going to be some adoption conversations. There's going to be some fostering conversations, God. Today, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, our, Your people are going to see oppression new. They're going to see it from the eyes of a minority, God. They're going to see it from the eyes of the poor. They're going to see it from the eyes of that, that baby who was grown born to a drug-addicted mother, they're going to see it just transforming their lives today. But I pray it's just like the Apostle Paul that those scales would fall off and they would see the culture new through the eyes of the kingdom because they are blood-bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. For the glory of your kingdom, God, I pray you do it. Amen and amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.